Hello everyone, it's October 15th, 2019. This week we're checking in on that marathon of spacewalks aboard station. Changing batteries has never been so exciting. Then it's on to the other race, SpaceX versus Boeing. Who will launch crew first? It's gotta be close, it's another space race, and liftoff. And we've cleared the tower. Welcome to episode 232 of the Orbital Mechanics Podcast. I'm David. I'm Ben. And I'm Dennis. So did either of you watch uh, the Pegasus launch? No. Yeah, no, I, I saw, yeah, when uh, Valentin uh, yeah, mentioned that they were actually streaming it on NASA TV, then I kind of mm-hmm. just went and checked out YouTube, so. It was pretty cool. I mean, it was a night launch, so mm-hmm. can't see too much. And there's no there's no cameras on board Pegasus, as far as I know. So, you know, there's no cool SpaceX shots. But uh, mm-hmm. it's interesting just how quickly it ascends. I know. That was the first thing I thought is it, it like, just immediately goes through Max-Q. <laughs> yeah. It's like, wait, usually yeah. they don't have to wait a little longer? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the, the video is weird because um, the airplane banks as soon as they release the vehicle. And so it looks like the mm-hmm. it looks like the rocket is like flying off to the side, but it's really not. Yep. So um, I, I've said this a number of times off tape, um, but I can't wait for KSB2 to come out because <laughs> Dennis and I, I'm roping him into flying... Uh, missions like this where we can have an airplane return back to the airstrip and then have somebody else fly the rocket up into orbit it's gonna be so good that is gonna be so cool man and uh falcon 9 reusable first stage missions it's gonna be so cool yeah and the thing about ksp2 also i'm thinking about is if like they said interstellar travel is available right yep and they're gonna have they've named at least one of the other uh solar systems Oh, wow. So there's going to be really exotic propulsion then. Yeah. Um, They're going to have, they've shown off a couple of cool exotic propulsion. Um, One of them is the, uh, what's that drive where you drop uh, nuclear bombs behind you? Sam's saying Orion. 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 Okay. Yeah, yeah. There's been so many Orions. Uh, It's generalized. It's called nuclear pulse propulsion Ah. or external pulsed plasma propulsion. And yeah, so they built, or they uh, they theorized building uh, Orion on it, but they actually built a practical demo um, with non-nuclear bombs. Obviously, <laughs> but they actually they actually did it with uh, with conventional explosives. So they're doing the nuclear pulse to propulsion with Kerbal. What other types of exotic propulsions are there? Because I mean, like, are they going to stray into a little bit more science fictiony stuff, or is it just going to be a really long? That's my near question. future, is what they're saying. So maybe like. Controlled nuclear would be fair. Yeah, well, I mean, there, there's already a Nerva engine in KSP, which is um, definitely oh, they do have future it, yeah. technology. Do you think that they're going to do some kind of a fusion drive because that's like semi-plausible? Yeah. Right. Well, like I said, oh no, I guess Nerva isn't a fusion drive. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's something fusion. like that. But I, I do like I do like Sam's idea that if maybe look at this the other way. Maybe the other stars aren't going to be too far away <laughs> because i mean inter- mm-hmm. interstellar you know space is stupidly big and so mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe kerbal will just be like this isn't going to be fun if we make it more realistic so let's just go and scale well re- remember that that the current the current system is uh 10th the size of our system so it seems reasonable that stars will be a 10th of the distance but even then like the 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 trips but time between would be 
ridiculously long. Like you have to well, speed I mean, things up big time. It, it depends on whether they will allow um, acceleration during time acceleration. But one of the one of the um, remote systems is going to have a binary planet, <laughs> and so so they're using patched conics uh, physics for everything except for this one system. Um, once you get into its sphere of influence, they'll have limited end body physics. <laughs> it's going to be so cool. It really um, is. Trying to, trying to manage orbits that are constantly changing. Um, so before we start the show, the other thing that we need to talk about is Alexei Leonov died. Right. Oh, yeah. First spacewalker ever. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, <laughs> that was a very eventful <laughs> EVA. Mm. That was the uh, the it's, the kind of puffing up one, right? Yep, barely. I mean, he got back inside, but he had a, a mm-hmm. very rough time of it. And then he also um, commanded um, the Soyuz for the uh, ASTP, the Apollo Soyuz test mission. Ah, right. Uh, by all accounts, he was just a very interesting jovial fun person to be around mm. yeah so uh i guess listen to eva by public service broadcasting in memory of him yeah and did you guys see it sounds like a couple of years ago there was a uh, a russian film called the spacewalkers mm, and it's it's it sounds like it's all it, it looks to me like a biopic about leonov so uh, I definitely want to check it out because because, you know, I have no idea, you know, whether it's a good film or not, but it, it looks very realistic. And, you know, like his like I saw some clips of him doing the spacewalk and it just looks great. It, lo- it looks fantastic. You're right. Oh, Ben plopped a trailer in the chat. Yeah, this this ain't no low budget movie. This looks great. So let's do a this week in spaceflight history. So I see we have three winners and a almost their winner but not yeah wor- worth mentioning so uh we have a first time winner mark satino uh congratulations mark uh ben Haller and leon r who's actually in the chat right now congratulations to you and then uh alexander m uh sent me a pm where he was so close that i figured we should mention him uh he identified uh the speaker in the audio clue from last week as lieutenant uhura um, and then kind of made a jump towards the this the event for this week, but not not quite. Mm-hmm. All right, this week in spaceflight history is October seventeenth, nineteen fifty six. It was the birth of Mae Jemison. Um, so she was born in Alabama. She grew up uh, in the Woodlawn and Morgan Park neighborhoods in Chicago. Um, Morgan Park is a really nice neighborhood and on the south side of Chicago. That like I was always excited when I had um, uh, a, a reason to visit for work, um, you know, because I drove all over Chicago for work, and mm. it's always nice to go to Morgan Park. Uh, and then uh, Woodlawn is actually where I uh, got my first cat from. Uh, he was on the streets out in Woodlawn. Anyway, um, so she, like I said, she was born in Alabama, grew up in Chicago, and she grew up seeing, you know, almost no women in space. And almost no women in sciences. In fact, um, she, you know, she wanted to be a scientist, and and one of her teachers, I think, assumed that that meant that she wanted to be a nurse. You know, so she kind of grew up in this world. But the the shining star was Lieutenant Uhura on Star Trek, and she, I mean, in a in a very real way, kind of modeled her life on Uhura, which is is really cool. So she's an absolute genius. She started undergraduate classes at Stanford at the age of 16. 
um, and she graduated with a dual major in chemical engineering and African-American studies. Um, and then she went and got um, a medical doctorate from Cornell and then went and worked in the Peace Corps as a doctor for a while. And then once she left the Peace Corps, she, she already had uh, an MD. She went and got a... Uh, uh, or she went and took master's classes in engineering while working a private practice. Yeah, just, that's just a, that's quite the workload. Yeah. An absolute powerhouse. So um, she applied to NASA and was accepted to astronaut group 12, which was right after the Challenger disaster. It was the, the first uh, astronaut class after Challenger. And she only flew on one mission. That was STS-47. It was in space between September 12th and September 20th, 1992. It was the 50th mission, uh, the, the 50th space shuttle mission. And it was a space lab mission. And the space lab was actually kitted out by Japan. So they were doing a bunch of international experiments, um, including uh, a tadpole experiment where they actually grew tadpoles from eggs like they actually had female frogs on board and they laid eggs and and made tadpoles in space and so they got to watch tadpoles swim around in zero g so wow and uh uh jemison consistently greeted mission control with the phrase hailing frequencies open uh, at the start of her shift every day. So after uh, after STS-47, she resigned from from NASA uh, in March 1993. And I actually found a little, I, I think this was mentioned on, on a Wikipedia page, but Homer Hickam actually uh, expressed that he was a little upset that she left NASA. He wanted her to stay and continue contributing. But uh, she wanted to start a business and she ended up, you know, being very influential. So she uh, founded uh, Jemison Group, which is, quote, a consulting firm which considers the socio-cultural impact of technological advancements in design. And then she went and founded the Dorothy Jemison Foundation for Excellence, which is named after her mother, um, which really, I think, gets into Jemison's love of education and pedagogy. Um, and so the uh, Dorothy Jemison Foundation does a lot of work in pedagogy and education, but in particular, they have a space camp, which is mm -hmm. uh, pretty darn cool. They also won DARPA's 100-year starship proposal, um, which was sort of this, um, uh, this competition. They wanted to create a plan to get humanity to become interstellar in 100 years. And so... They sort of had this proposal competition, and they ended up giving uh, the Jemison Foundation a bunch of money to actually build uh, like a practical plan, like a, like a business plan on on what uh, humanity, what what technology humanity needs to develop in order to be able to do this. So all of this is very spacey and technological, um, but it's also important to mention Jemison's love for the arts. Um, she was very interested in dance and singing and acting. Um, all throughout her career, well, specifically her early career. And it's always great to see these brilliant, brilliant scientists and how interested they are in the arts. Because um, it's something that I tend to forget is how important the arts are. And so it's good to see people who I really look up to really championing more than more than just the hard sciences. Um, she was also in the Women of NASA Lego kit, which is pretty cool. Um, but all of this uh, pales in comparison to her finest accomplishment, uh, which is 
what the clue from last week was. She was on Star Trek The Next Generation episode uh, Second Chances. It was uh, season six, episode 24. So it's the 150th episode. So she flew on the 50th uh, shuttle mission and the 150th Star Trek episode. Um, it was the one uh, where Thomas Riker uh, was discovered on a planet and he got introduced to the universe and, you know, showed up uh, later down the line uh, causing trouble and uh, hanging out with the McKee. And, and the reason that she was on this show, it, it was, this was one of the LeVar Burton directed episodes. I mean, he directed so many of them and so many of his episodes are some of my favorites. Um, but LeVar actually um, kind of begged her to come on the show. He's like, you, you need to come do this. And uh, so she became the first astronaut on Star Trek and she wasn't just a background character. Like she actually had a couple of lines and the best thing is when you Google Mae Jemison Star Trek, you don't, you get a couple of screen caps of her moments on air, but what you see so much more of is her hanging out with the cast, wearing her, uh, her yellow uniform or her gold uniform mm -hmm. and just like talking to people. And you see the way that people look at her as this, this inspirational woman, you know, the, the first African-American woman in space and, you know, just, just a remarkable person all around. It, it, I, I love it. I think it's so great. You know, it's weird though. I, I have to admit, I know who she is as an astronaut and I remember that character, but I had not put the two together. I, I did not know that was her until you pointed it out. <laughs> yeah. So you recognize the episode right off the bat and i was yeah. really shocked that you then didn't yeah um, I, didn't, I did not get it <laughs> it's funny because now in retrospect it's like oh yeah that's totally her like how did i not put it together you know but it's, that's just how it is with faces on tv you yeah. don't always recognize one personality for another it's, right. you know it's like oh it's like i've that one tv show mm -hmm. yeah. so yeah I, I didn't see it so yeah, yeah. i learned something new there <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so i i'm glad to, to introduce you to that one so i wanted to leave us with a quote uh, from Mae Jemison. This is so good. Um, she said, never be limited by other people's limited imaginations. I like that one. Okay, so instead of having a clue for next week, we're going to be at IAC next week. Um, so quick update on our plans. Um, we're not going to release a regular show next week. What we are probably going to do is release a show I mean, maybe on Tuesday. We'll likely release a show Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. Um, basically, at some point when we have a sec to sit down in our hotel room and talk about what we've seen real quick, we will do like a regular show that will come out on on Tuesday, the 29th in two weeks. But we'll do a short show next week and uh, and I will get a clue ready and then we'll do a full This Week in Space Flight History the week after. Sounds like a plan. Yep. So we have an update on the battery replacement EVAs. Um, how many more batteries are there left? A Does bunch. anyone know? Oh, a, a bunch. bunch. A bunch? Oh, really? Okay. I didn't know it was a bunch. I figured it was like a couple more. Yeah. So Okay. So um, uh, we've talked about this already. I just wanted to give it its own full segment because now the EVAs are in full swing and we can, mm -hmm. uh, it's it's good to talk about this and, and get people up to date so that if you have a chance to sit down and watch an EVA, you know what's going on. So just, just a quick backtrack. Um, station originally was built with these nickel hydrogen batteries, which are really crazy where the pressure changes depending on, uh, how much charge is in the battery. <laughs> it's really crazy. Um, and we, we've talked about those. And so, 
um, they are going to upgrade all of them uh, to lithium-ion batteries. I mean, obviously, there are batteries all over the station in every iPad and every laptop. And so these are particularly the batteries that are out on the truss. Um, they sit at the base of the solar, uh, the solar array wings. They allow the, the power on the station to continue during the nighttime. And so they're outside of the pressure vessel and they are right at the base of the solar arrays so they can be upstream of all the other equipment that studies the power out and, and does the voltage conversions and everything. And so uh, these are getting updated to lithium ion and the lithium ion batteries are not only denser, but they are physically smaller. They actually take up less than half the volume of the original nickel hydrogen batteries. Um, and so uh, one lithium ion battery will do the job of two nickel hydrogen batteries. So when they're installing these batteries, they're not only installing the battery, but they're also installing an adapter plate in the in the slot next to the battery because um, the batteries are in sequence so they complete the circuit. So there are batteries at the base of each of the wings. Um, so that's uh, P6 and S6 as well as P4 and S4. So those are the, the segments with the solar arrays and they're also the segments outside of the solar alpha rotary joint. Earlier this year, they replaced all of the batteries in the P4 and S4 segments. Those were difficult spacewalks, but they were relatively easy because the robotic arm, Canadarm2, reaches P4 and S4. It doesn't reach P6 and S6, so they left those for later. Um, so right now, this series is just working on P6. And I saw a news article that referred to these batteries as the oldest batteries on station. That's actually not true. The S6 batteries are older because the P6 batteries were actually replaced um, with new nickel hydrogen batteries, but they were replaced back... I think in like 2007, something like that. It was a, it was a shuttle mission that actually replaced those. Um, so they, I don't know why they're replacing P6 before S6. Maybe, maybe I'm missing something. Um, but again, uh, they're doing this <laughs> while having to move these batteries a lot longer. Candidarm 2 can actually only get within 20 feet of the work site. That's crazy. So are they just going to that point and then just uh, hooking up their tethers and slowly yep. translating? Moving, moving them by hand. Wow. And they're calling it shepherding these batteries. So they're not only large, but they're heavy. So the old batteries uh, are 365 pounds or 165 kilograms each. Um, and remember that those old batteries are half the capacity of the new batteries. The new batteries are 420 pounds or 190 kilograms. So they, it's two batteries worth in one. So they're they're denser, they're physically smaller, and they're heavier, but you only need one of them uh, compared to two of the older batteries. So mm -hmm. imagine imagine this this 420-pound box that you could not lift on Earth. And so, of course, in space, you just push on it, and it moves and, and doesn't stop moving. But this is a huge amount of inertia. This is mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the heaviest things, if not the heaviest thing on station that you're going to have to move around. I think the... Um, some of the freezers might be heavier and they actually move those around. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm just guessing. Um, but 420 pounds to move around with gloves on mm -hmm. <laughs> while you're holding on to translation aids like the, the handholds. It's a lot of work. Wow. Um, this is 
this is really intense physically and mentally. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you just have to go very slowly, right? Because, like you said, there's so much inertia in those things that you yeah. can't get any kind of speed because then you'll, you'll be in trouble. In a bad situation. Yeah. 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 And I guess, and, and that's why there's so many spacewalks. I'm guessing they're mm -hmm. una they're unable to do as much in a given walk if they're slowing everything down. And and they're having to translate a longer distance. And they have to go further. Uh, before they just had a pallet with all of the all the batteries just sitting there, right hmm. right next to it. It seems luxurious now. Uh, even though it was still a very difficult spacewalks. So as of this recording and as of when this show comes out, they will have completed two of the five spacewalks. So the third spacewalk is going to happen at the end of the week, I think on the weekend. Um, the fourth, which is happening on the 21st of October, will be performed by Christina Koch and Jessica Meir, which finally gets us to that long-delayed first all-female EVA. There we go. Yeah. Uh, the fifth and final will feature Luca Parmitano. This will be his first return to EVA after his water in the helmet issue and that he will be on the fifth and final battery replacement EVA, but that's not the end. The EVAs continue. Um, so after we finished uh, replacing all these batteries, they're going to immediately go into a series of five EVAs to repair the alpha magnetic spectrometer, which we mentioned briefly a bit earlier. So this is going to be so much fun. We are talking about Hubble, Hubble servicing mission level repairs. These are repairs that were not intended to be done on orbit. Basically, one of the pumps failed, and so they're going to have to replace uh, not electronics. They're going to have to replace a wet system, basically, uh, a pump that's supposed to be pressurized on the inside and not pressurized on the outside. And they're going to have to take these things apart and replace them. Um, I can't wait to see some of the space hacks that they figure out. And it's great that we have such experienced EVAers, such, such experienced spacewalkers mm -hmm. uh, ready to do this work and to keep the alpha, the alpha magnetic spectrometer up and running. I keep getting uh, alpha magnetic spectrometer and solar alpha rotary joint mixed up in my head. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, there you go. That's a quick update on the EVAs. Everything's going well so far. Uh, in fact, they actually have already um, done a bunch of get-ahead tasks on the last EVA. Um, they already replaced one of the lithium-ion batteries that failed, so they, you know, they need to bring up an extra lithium-ion battery. Uh, and you know, that was mostly done by Dexter because it was on. Uh, I think it was on P4. Might have been S4, but I think it was P4. But yeah, everything is going swimmingly. They are really, really cranking on these tasks. And it, it makes sense because uh, Christina Koch has already been out to this location. Um, you know, like we, we've already done all this before. And so we were really well optimized, really good training behind us. And, and we can we can get this work done quickly. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, well, I just mentioned the word translate, which I don't get to do very often. So I'm going to do it again. Let's translate <laughs> to a new topic. So commercial crew update. So, yeah, let's uh, let's talk about SpaceX and the Boeing Starliner or the SpaceX Dragon, Crew Dragon and Starliner. Um, so I guess we're inching forward here. And just a couple of days ago, I think it was uh, Jim Bridenstine went to SpaceX head. I, th I think it was headquarters, right? It was in Hawthorne mm -hmm. or was it at yeah. the Cape? I'm not sure. But no, yeah, Hawthorne. he went to Hawthorne. Yeah. OK. And uh, he inspected things and just to see how things were going. And he seemed to have come to, I guess, like an agreement uh, he and like Elon made up and have, you know, <laughs> decided that they are pressing forward with this and that this is their big priority, right? Yeah. Did did we talk about what Elon had said on the last show? I forget. Uh, well, we oh. did it. I don't know if it was the last show or the show before that, but I think okay. we did, right? I think so. If not, you can say it again, which was... Yeah. Uh, well, let's, let's just remind people. What was the quote? Um, a reporter said that what was interviewing... 
Musk and said something about how Bridenstine was talking about commercial crew being way behind schedule. And Elon said, did he say commercial crew or SLS? And then Mm. uh, the, the reporter didn't quite get the burn um, you know, it's, it's hard, it's hard in that moment to, to be working and, you know, get this very dry sarcasm from Elon. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it's, it's interesting that, that NASA worked hard to make sure that Bridenstine had some FaceTime with the media talking about this very issue. So, okay. Well, that's interesting about putting it. So you're saying that NASA made sure that he had some FaceTime. This was sort of like something that was sort of like orchestrated. Because I, th- uh, I figured it was just maybe like Bridenstine's idea, or I mean, oh no, I I'm pretty hmm. sure that this was like a like a PAO thing where they're going, okay, this this thing happened, we're already going to be out there, let's make sure that we talk about commercial crew and scheduling. This this feels premeditated to me. Well, Eric Berger uh, tweeted that a source of his uh, quote or has said that full panic has ensued as NASA realizes commercial crew may not be ready in the first half of 2020, and then this is a. Uh, Elon's so active on Twitter, so his responses to that kind of gave us a good picture of what's going on as far as uh, his commercial crew kind of refocusing. And so even though there's been this kind of smack talk going on, essentially, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, one of the criticisms that Bridenstine uh, suggested was that you know SpaceX needs to shift its focus back towards commercial crew and not so much on Starship, right? I mean, we just had the big Starship unveiling and everything. Yeah. So Bridenstein said that he, uh, quote, wants to get back to a day where we have realistic cost and schedule. I was signaling, and I haven't done it just to SpaceX, but to all of our contractors, that we need more realism built into the development timelines. Not quick, like not fleet-footedness, but realism. Mm. So it sounds like there's frustration coming from the administration a little bit. (laughs) Well, which, I mean, is understandable, to be honest with you, but uh, Mm -hmm. it just seems that that's how things have been going for such a long time. I don't foresee any changes. I think they're maybe feeling the heat a little more because there's this pressure as to whether or not... Well, NASA has the goal of really making sure that they have an uninterrupted presence on the station. You know, independent of just Mm -hmm. having people there, we need to have an NASA astronaut there. And so... You know, are we buying some more seats if these, you know, if things slip further with commercial crew or, you know, can we just count on them launching next year? Are we going to have to start extending uh, the time that our astronauts are spending up there? Mm-hmm. Uh, these are all kind of things going into the yeah. calculus of this. <laughs> yeah. If, if I was an astronaut right now, I'd be getting ready for another year on, on orbit. Mm. I, I, I'm expecting them to end up extending some some stays on ISS. Really? Okay. It seems like the easiest way to kind of deal with this. I mean, it's not, it's non-trivial, but like the arrangements don't involve, you know, new vehicles and things like that. Mm. (laughs) Right. Yeah. When compared (laughs) to getting new vehicles up and running, just extending a stay. Yeah. seems not true. Uh I wonder if that's something that the astronauts consider that they're like, okay, I'm heading up, but there's a chance I might not be coming back down on schedule because we don't know if we're going to have any more rides back up for the next astronauts. You know, like if maybe that's something that they're, that they sort of have floating around in the back of their mind, you know, Uh I don't know. I mean, it seems to me that things are going, well, I guess, you know, we'll, talk about that in a second but uh the schedule right now it would seem to indicate that we will actually have launches next year um i don't know exactly when Mm -hmm. but yeah we'll find out yeah Yeah. barring any further anomalies Mm -hmm. uh, things would work out for nasa but uh it seems like the uh the amount of wiggle room is is very quickly uh disappearing 
And so that's yeah. kind of mm -hmm. why there's a bit of uh, intensity there. But like you said, right, uh, Bridenstine showed up to Hawthorne and tried to smooth things out. And yeah. everybody's talking positively about, you know, mm -hmm. going forward at this point. Yeah. So, so uh, just to get into some specifics here, right now we have three Americans on station, Christina Cope, Drew Morgan, and Jessica Meir. Well, Jessica Meir is the most recent arrival. She flew up on uh, MS-15. After that, we don't have any more Americans planned to fly. Um, there are Russians and um, Akita Hoshide. He's a JAXA astronaut. He's flying up on MS-16. Um, but we don't have any more flights or any more seats booked for Americans. And so um, Jessica Meir and Drew Morgan are scheduled to land, or to, to come back down spring 2020. If commercial crew doesn't happen, um, we will be bringing uh, Jessica Meir and Drew Morgan down, leaving uh, Christina Koch on station. And she she could be there, you know, TBD. She doesn't currently have um, a return date. Uh, at least not listed on Wikipedia. I'm, I'm sure that NASA has got a bunch of alternatives, um, but they haven't announced when, when she's going to be coming home. And so who knows? They might even leave uh, Mir and Morgan or, or maybe one of them on station for a little longer. But it seems like at, at very least Christina Koch, I, I would expect she's going to stay there until we can get a commercial crew vehicle up there. Who knows? This is all speculation. Right, right. So they don't have any flights planned tentatively. Is there anything? It's like they do, but I scheduled. don't believe they've even announced who's going to be flying yet, have they? I assume that they did have you know something, or I suppose, like you said, we might not know about it, but they should at least have a plan in place. In yeah, you know what? Actually, we, we do know. So um, uh, Demo 2 is going to have Robert Benkin and Douglas Hurley on oh, it. And then that's right. CS we talked about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the the first uh CST100 um which do they have a name? Oh, uh Bo CFT uh crew flight test. That is uh going to have Michael Fink, uh Chris Ferguson and uh Nicole Mann on board. So, yeah, so those are the people who will be going up and who I mean, who knows, right? But isn't all but isn't only one of those actually going up and then transferring crew and the other one is right just, i guess like yeah they're just like two two weeks um and then yeah. the first like actual rotation flights um they're called um uscv um us uh commercial vehicle mm. and uh so that's the the dragon dragon uh is planned to fly for uscv one that's uh michael hopkins uh victor glover and sochi Naguchi. and then uh starliner is going to be uscv two and that's sunita williams josh cassida and thomas pesquet i think is how i think we've talked about this oh, yeah. <laughs> on the show before Tomas pesquet yeah so those are the first like crew rotation flights but you know we will have uh, a couple people there for you know a week or two and and who knows these might get bumped up to full rotation uh, flights. Like, I don't know. So I guess, yeah, right. The question is, so what is it going to take for Dragon and Starliner to, uh, you know, make this happen on time without leaving poor uh, Christina Cook up there for, you know, ever? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so um, the keys, right, Dragon obviously had the uh, uh, explosion earlier this year. That was able to be fixed, if you remember, right? That was the uh, the slug of uh, NTO that got to where it wasn't supposed Ooh. to be and then slammed yeah. into the uh, check valve and caused the explosion. So they just put burst disks there. So that's all good. I had to, I had to refresh my memory about exactly how they 
decided to remedy that. But that's something that's pretty much, you know, well understood and couldn't be a problem uh, in the same way anymore. And uh, so now they've got an in-flight abort test. They're aiming for the end of November, early December. Oh, and before I say that, um, I also want to highlight that uh, as far as the whether or not, you know, SpaceX has been devoting enough time mm. and attention and care to commercial crew for uh, different people's tastes. Uh, Elon did say that even if they've always, you know, Starship has not taken away that much time, they did reallocate some resources to speed up the uh, commercial crew development and schedule. So, you know, he, you know, is taking this uh, seriously and has made actual, you know, proper changes to try to make sure we can get these people back up there, these uh, American astronauts. And so, right, so the end of uh, November, early December is uh, uh, hopefully when the in-flight abort test will take place. All the hardware is presently at the Cape, so that looks like something that they should be able to hit that schedule. And then the other key thing with uh, Dragon that it needs... Uh, uh, on SpaceX's end is to get the parachutes to work. Because remember, we saw that they had problems with their parachutes. They've been testing them to all hell, but <laughs> they've <laughs> come up with a, a new uh, Mark III parachute. So that this one should be able to handle uh, higher loads than the Mark IIs using, I don't know if there's, is there Elon math? <laughs> They're possibly 10 yeah, times safer be. than the Mark II ones, uh, as he likes to, or he's been tweeting. And so uh, the idea is between now and the end of the year to have 10 drop tests. And then at that point, um, with the in-flight abort and the parachutes uh, settled, uh, then it's NASA and paperwork uh, to actually get the launch. And given the seriousness uh, from NASA's end, hopefully there wouldn't be too much of a delay in that. And if things go well... We can have uh, Hurley and uh, Bankin uh, heading on up there in the spring. But I wonder what what is it that makes the Mark III parachutes ten times safer? Uh, the 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 stitching pattern. I think where the lines are in the parachute. It sounds like there's some kind of uh, structural issue. They, they stopped using cheesecloth. <laughs> yeah, here the, here's the line. The, the Mark III parachutes incorporate much stronger lines and changes in stitching patterns to accommodate higher loads. So it's, okay. yeah, you know, that sounds like something easier to do. You know what I mean? Like you just kind of can make that yeah. switch and, you know, you're not talking about new materials, new packing arrangements or I don't know. I don't even know. Parachutes are the black arts to me. I can't really. So, can't soft materials in general are black arts. Um, I believe anybody who really understands how to draft clothing uh, is <laughs> a witch. Yeah. So that's yeah. That's where that's where Dragon lies. And as for Starliner, uh, they've got. It looks like they've kind of got things pretty well settled uh, as far as uh, getting the uh, equipment and hardware to where it needs to be. Uh, they're planning for a pad abort test in White Sands on November 4th, so, you know, just weeks away. Uh, the spacecraft is already completed and currently being uh, fueled. And then the before, uh, obviously, they can send people, uh, they need to do their uncrewed test flight, which is the uh, OTF or orbital test flight. And right now they're targeting uh, December 17th for that launch. And although the um, news uh, you know, on this uh, was only uh, the middle of last week, it's possible that the spacecraft might already be assembled. Uh, they were talking about in the reporting that only a couple major components were needed to still be added, and the assembly could be completed by the weekend. And so we're recording on a Sunday mm -hmm. morning, which means, you know, as of now, they might be putting the finishing touches on it. And so hopefully, you know, things go well there, and uh, we will have our commercial crew chugging along all nice and uh, 
on schedule in uh, you know the early half of 2012. Sorry, 2020. I think 2012 was when it was supposed to have been. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. All right, time to do some short and sweet, three of them as usual. And what's the first one, Dennis? First up, Virgin Orbit announces potential Martian CubeSat missions. Inspired by the two Marco CubeSats that flew to Mars alongside NASA's InSight mission, Virgin Orbit has announced a partnership with nearly a dozen Polish universities and the Wrocław-based satellite maker SatRevolution for as many as three Martian CubeSat missions. Virgin Orbit says it has figured out a way for its Launcher 1 rocket to be able to send small payloads to Mars and potentially its moons, Venus, and maybe a couple of asteroids. In the meantime, the company is preparing to fly the Launcher 1 before the end of the year. Close-ups of Phobos and Deimos? That's what I get, Jazz. Yeah. <laughs> Very neat. Next up, Stratolaunch is now under new ownership. Stratolaunch announced in a brief statement that it has transitioned to a new owner, though it has not yet disclosed who. Since its founding in 2011, it has been under the ownership of Vulcan Incorporated, a holding company of late Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen. Stratolaunch did confirm in its statement that it will continue to focus on customizable, reusable, and affordable rocket-powered testbed vehicles. So that's interesting, but not too interesting because we don't know who it uh, <laughs> who it got sold to. So it's kind of a mystery, but they are still in business. All right, and finally, the Jason 2 mission has ended, but its satellite will remain. So the Jason 2 spacecraft, a joint U.S.-European satellite developed for monitoring ocean currents and sea level rise, ended its mission on October 1st, but will not deorbit for another 500 to 1,000 years. <laughs> At an altitude of 1,336 kilometers, the spacecraft will decay only a few dozen meters per year for some time. Current orbital debris mitigation guidelines required deorbiting of a decommissioned spacecraft within 25 years. However, the Jason 2 satellite was designed and built prior to this guideline. To prevent collisions with any subsequent missions, Jason 2 has been lowered from its operational orbit by about 30 kilometers. And that's just to make room for the uh, for the Jason 3 spacecraft. Yeah. But right. so, but that's the only reason why they're doing that. So that's not going to actually change the deorbiting time. So mm-hmm. 500 to 1,000 Not meaningfully years. anyway, yeah. Let's move on now to upcoming spaceflight events. Just three things, two spacewalks, and some kind of an announcement. So that's interesting. So we have a uh, tweet from Virgin Galactic. On October 16th in New York City, they'll be showcasing, quote, the latest milestone in our creation of the world's first commercial space line clue it's going to space with our future astronauts so that's been uh you know word is that this will have to do with the uh flight suits so uh keep an eye out for that on october 16th so we do have a follow-up tweet from uh doug messier parabolic arc that the flight suit well it's speculating that it's a flight suit but also that passengers have been coming to mojave to get fitted for them New York City is a major fashion center. There's not much else going up with the passengers. So kind of using those lines of evidence, that seems to be where yeah. this uh, yeah, speculation is coming from. <laughs> some, some good reasoning. The speculation is that it's a flight suit, not even a pressure suit. So um, yeah. if that's an announcement, it's not a very big one, it seems, yep. just for a flight suit. Mm. Yeah. It'll still be cool to look at. Yeah. All right. And then we have two spacewalks coming up. So the first one is on October 16th. Uh, That's Spacewalk 58. Um, And of course, this is all new batteries. So uh, the coverage begins at 6.30 a.m. Eastern time. Spacewalk begins at 7.50 a.m. Eastern time. And that's uh, currently scheduled to be six and a half hours. And then the the next one is October 21st. So that's Monday right before our next show comes out. Um, Coverage begins at 
6 a.m. Spacewalk begins at 7.50 a.m. And it's another six and a half hour spacewalk, uh, all Eastern time, obviously. So that's uh, 58, uh, Spacewalk 58 on the 16th, uh, Spacewalk 59 on the 21st. And you can watch them on NASA TV as usual. All right. And those are our upcoming Spaceflight events. With that said, we will deal with the show. And we would like to thank Ronald Jenkins and Tim Dodd for our music. We record live on Sundays at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern. Thank you so much to our $5 and up Patreon supporters for joining our recording sessions and helping us make correction burns on the fly. If you want to support the show as well, please leave us a review wherever you listen. Haven't had a review in a long damn time. Or visit theorbitalmechanics.com slash support for our Patreon campaign, affiliate links, and other resources. Was that a hint? <laughs> yeah, suggestion. yeah. We we dropped off the U.S. Uh, top 100 list. So let's, let's get back up there. For more information on this episode, such as show notes and other links, visit our website at theorbitalmechanics.com. Be sure to check out our store for mission patches, t-shirts, and hoodies. You can talk about the show with other listeners on Twitter and Reddit. We're Orbital Podcasts on both, and you can talk directly to us by emailing info at theorbitalmechanics.com. So that's it. We will see you next time on Orbit. Until then, later. Bye, everybody. See you.